Well, good morning, everyone. Glad that uh, we could be back together again this morning. Um, if you happen not to know it, uh, maybe you're a guest with us today. My name is Thomas. I'm one of the pastors here with the church. And, and uh, over the course of the summer, I've had a little bit more opportunity to preach because our lead pastor, Pastor Brett, he's been on sabbatical. And so as I've had the chance to preach, we've been moving through the book of 1 Thessalonians. So we'll, we're going to keep on there today. Uh, we started into chapter 4 last Sunday, and we're going to stay uh, continuing on there in chapter 4 today. So if you do have your Bible with you, you can open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you happen to not have a Bible with you, you can raise your hand and we will make sure that we get you one. And we'll read from there in just a second, but before we do that, please pray with me again. Lord, thank you for the opportunity uh, here again to be together, and I, and I would just simply ask, Lord, that you would clear away distractions, and you would help us to focus now, and you'd help us to hear from you. Um, do open us up to hear from you, Lord, however you would, uh, or, or whatever you'd want to speak to us um, individually and as a church. Um, help us to hear that, and then help us to believe what is true here this morning, uh, and uh, help us to live accordingly. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 9 to, uh, to 12. So verse 9, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves know, or, or rather you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, do this more and more. And to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Amen. So there's this uh, older camp song. Uh, you might know of it. I remember, um, I remember getting to know it like 30 years ago when I was in a Lutheran uh, uh, youth, uh, youth group. And, and so some of you might know this, but this song is called... They will know we are Christians by, by our love. You probably are familiar with that song. It's been stuck in my head all morning, actually. And uh, actually, I was surprised to see that there are some newer uh, renditions and arrangements of that song put together. But, but they will know you are Christians uh, by your love. And I think that the, that, the, that song title is true. People will know that we are Christians by our love. But more specifically they will know that we are Christians by our brotherly love. And so just to start here, a, a bit of a kind of a big picture here of what's going on in these verses that we just read. Paul is concerned here with what he calls brotherly love. Okay, you can see that right away in verse 9. And then actually you can see in verse 10 that in some ways the, the Thessalonians were excelling at this. They were doing this. They were loving Christians all over this province, this Roman province of Macedonia. And yet Paul still feels compelled here to urge them on to do this more and more, uh, he says there in verse 10. And uh, what's at issue here is that while in general the church as a whole is doing pretty well in this area, still Paul is likely uh, concerned with, he's likely thinking about um, uh, the fact that some individuals in the church are probably uh, basically abusing this love. They're abusing this brotherly love. They're taking advantage of this brotherly love in some way. Um, and at least part of that is that for some reason, these individuals are choosing not to work. 
They're not willing to work in order to make their ends meet. Um, so the issue is not that they, that they can't work or they cannot work. It's, it's that they're not willing to work for some reason uh, to support their own needs. And that's concerning to Paul. That is concerning to Paul, uh, not only for the sake of the benefit of the church, the health of the church itself, but also for what this looks like to a watching world, okay? Uh, What the lack of brotherly love looks like to those that he calls outsiders in verse 12. Now, that's probably not the most politically correct label, uh, Outsiders, people don't like to think of anyone these days being on the outside. We like to think very much uh, about inclusivity, uh, uh, be inclusive, include everyone. Um, Paul's not very PC as it, as, as it is, um, and this is what he gives us here, this term of outsiders as he calls them. But, but what he means by that term, outsiders, he just means non-Christians. It's just non-Christians. Anyone who is not, in other words, part of God's family. Anyone who's not uh, united to Jesus by faith, not a part of God's people, uh, not a part of the church of Jesus. And uh, that's what he's talking about. Now, what defines that? I mean, what's a Christian? What, what, who, what, is the, what is it to be a part of the people of God? Well, Christians are those who, who, who believe that God took on humanity in Jesus and Jesus died for our sins and then he rose up from the dead and he ascended into heaven and he gave the Holy Spirit and he's coming back one day to deal finally with all sin and set up to establish his new creation. Uh, as Christians, we, we, we believe that. And really, that is the gospel of Jesus in a nutshell. And if by God's grace we are in fact trusting that work of Jesus and we are, we are therefore forgiven of our sin, we are welcomed into God's family, um, uh, we're, we're welcomed into the favor of God, we have his acceptance. Um, if we're in fact trusting that, then that's evidence that in fact we are part of God's people. We are on the inside of Christ and his people rather than being on the outside of Christ and his people. Okay, so those are the outsiders that Paul has in mind here in verse 12. And Paul is concerned here with how the, the love inside the church, or the lack thereof, is perceived by these outsiders, these, these outside the church. And so basically he wants to issue a command here, essentially, and uh, it's a command that's related to brotherly love. And Paul is essentially giving us a twofold command here, sort of a positive side and a negative side. On the positive side, do, do love one another. That's the command. On the flip side, do not abuse that love. And I think that's just uh, every bit as applicable today as it was to the Thessalonians. Still today, God is calling us as a church to, in fact, love this way. Do love one another like this. And on the flip side of that, do not abuse this love. And so just for the sake of the message today, I want to, first of all, take a little bit of time just to flesh out what Paul has in mind with this idea of brotherly love, um, what's going on there with some of the details. And then a couple questions. Why? Uh, Number one, why should we obey this command? I mean, why is it important? Uh, What's at stake? What's the big deal? I think Paul gives us an answer to that. And then secondly, how can we obey this command to love one another with this brotherly love? How are we able to do that? I think the, uh, that uh, Paul gives us an answer to that as well. So, so that's where we're going. 
So first of all here, um, what does Paul have in mind with this, this idea, this concept of brotherly love? Well, you, uh, you might recognize the, the, the Greek word underneath this concept. There's a popular city by this name, the city of brotherly love. You know what that is, right? Philadelphia. Philadelphia, that's actually a Greek word, basically. And that is the Greek that's underneath this idea of brotherly love. And this term uh, in the New Testament, I mean, it was a common term in the world at that time. But in the New Testament, it really has a pretty specialized meaning. And it has to do with love, but that love specifically for fellow Christians. Specifically for fellow Christians. So um, actually, as the the Lonita, um, or Lonita lexicon, it says this. It says, not in non-biblical contexts, this term would refer to affection or love for persons that belong to a so-called in-group. And usually that in-group was referring to the family. But in the New Testament, this in-group is defined in terms of Christian faith. So when Paul is talking here, or he's calling us to continued love here, to do this more and more, uh, what he has in mind is this love that is specifically for, uh, specifically for those among one another in the Christian family. Okay? So this is a family love. This is specifically geared toward others in the family of Jesus. In other words, in the church. Um, so you maybe think about how I would love my wife uh, versus how I would love another person. Right? Obviously, there's going to be some differences there. There's different priorities. There's different privileges. There's different responsibilities. There's different expectations for how I love my wife or, or my kids, for that matter, versus how I might love others. There's expectations that are connected to my love for my wife or my love for my family that's not necessarily connected or applicable to sort of the general population. And that's what's in view here. And so while, while God does call us to love everyone... He calls us to love fellow members of his family uniquely, in a special way. There's special responsibilities, special privileges, expectations that are connected to that love. Now, I didn't check on my slides, but do we have G.K. Beale? G.K. Beale, he says this. He says, one's love, uh, one loves one's family more intensely than others, and likely the same is for the family of faith. This does not mean that Christians should love one another and not the world, but that they must show love for each other first, which suggests practically the more, that more energy will be expended in loving the Christian family members than in loving the world. And really that, that makes sense when you sort of uh, see how it gels with other um, parts of the New Testament. For example, Galatians 6.10, uh, it says this. Galatians 6.10, Paul there, he says, As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So a priority to the family of God. They're the brotherly love here that Paul has in mind, it is a love that is especially for fellow Christians. And, and so what might that look like? What does this love look like? What should this love look like? Well, very often, this brotherly love, this is connected to, to meeting the needs of, of the, the real physical needs of fellow Christians. So, for example, uh, John 3.17, or 1 John 3.17 says this. It says, If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Or Romans 12, Paul says this in verses 10 and following. He says, Love one another with brotherly affection. 
And he uh, connected to that verse 13 there. He says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So just a couple cross-references there to show that this, with this idea of brotherly love, uh, the emphasis in the New Testament is very often uh, having to do with meeting the real physical needs of fellow Christians. And I think this is what Paul has in mind here in First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4. Um, and in fact, he says they were doing this in large part, the Thessalonians were. They were doing this, they, and they were doing this uh, beyond just their fellow Christians there in Thessalonica. But actually, their love extended out to others uh, throughout Macedonia. You can see that in verse 10. And, and, and probably what Paul means there, like how were they loving all the brothers throughout Macedonia? Well, remember Thessalonica was a very, uh, very influential city. Lots of people from Macedonia crisscrossing through Thessalonica, uh, very busy coming and going for business reasons, pleasure reasons, religious reasons, you name it. And so probably what's happening here is that you've got Christians from other parts of Macedonia, like maybe Philippi or, or Berea, uh, other parts of Macedonia. They're traveling through Thessalonica, and the Thessalonian church is helping them out. It's helping them uh, in, in, in various ways. They're, they're welcoming them. They're extending hospitality to them, meaning that they would have helped to provide for them to have a place to stay overnight. Uh, they would have provided for them in various ways that would have been related to, uh, to their, their traveling. Um, uh, so, so that's, that's uh, what was going on there for Paul to be able to say that they loved uh, all the brothers throughout uh, Macedonia. So they were, they, the Thessalonians, they were doing this well. They understood this idea of of, uh, of brotherly love, not only for their own local church, but actually for uh, Christians in other local churches in other parts of uh, the province. And, and they were doing this. And so one side of the command here is that they would simply keep doing that. Keep doing it. Persevere. Keep loving as you are. Do love one another with this brotherly love. And of course, that applies to us every bit as much today. Um, if, if, if ever we should, uh, or, or any of us as Christians, any of us might be in, in, in genuine need for whatever reason, if it's a genuine need, then the, the brotherly love of the church is going to help to ensure that our needs get met whatever that might be in some way, shape, or form. Now, the flip side of that is that that love can be abused, right? We can abuse that love. People can take advantage of that love. And that's very likely what was going on here in Thessalonica. There were some individuals in the church that, that for some reason they were, they were abusing uh, this love. And I think, again, that's what Paul has in mind, probably in verse 11. Um, so verse 11 again says, Aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you. And then I think you can tack on to that. The end of verse 12, I think, is an extension of that where he says, Be dependent on no one. And so I think Paul, he's probably got specific cases in mind here as he's writing. Uh, some individuals are taking advantage of this love. Basically, they're mooching. Okay, they're leeching. They can work. But for some reason, they're not willing. They, they could support themselves, but for some reason, they're going to mooch off of others in the church. They're going to leech off of others in the church. They're going to take advantage of the generosity of others. And that, 
that, that would have been an unnecessary strain on others' resources in the church. And for whatever reason, this does seem to be an issue with the church in, in Thessalonica. Um, maybe we'll get into this in another sermon, but it's possible that it has something to do with not, not understanding the timing of when Jesus was coming back. There might be other reasons as well. But for whatever reason, this does seem to be a real issue for this church because Paul is going uh, to allude to this again in the next chapter, in chapter 5. And then he, he actually takes it up in quite a bit more force in the next letter to the Thessalonians, which is Second Thessalonians. And over in Second Thessalonians, he says this. He says, um, he says for, in, this is chapter 3, verse 10, I don't have a slide for this, but he says, even when you, we were with you, he says, we gave you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Okay, so he had to say that again in his second letter. So something's going on here. Um, and so Paul commands them here. He says, live quietly, mind your own affairs, work with your own hands as we instructed you. And again, at the end of verse 12, be dependent on no one. So aspire to live quietly, mind your own affairs, work with your own hands. Um, In other words, uh, Paul is saying here, live in such a way with your church that you're not disruptive, that you're not infringing on other people's, uh, uh, unnecessarily, I should say, infringing on other people's uh, space and lives and resources. Don't, Don't be disruptive, be peaceable in that regard. You could also translate that living quietly as living peaceably. And so he says to aspire to do that. And by that he means make it your ambition. Make it your ambition to do this. And, and actually I think it's interesting that um, the Greek there probably it gives the sense, it connects it to the idea of honor. And so, so probably what Paul is saying there, he's, he's, he's saying this is considerate honorable to live in this quiet, peaceable way and make it your ambition to do that. That's an honorable thing to pursue. That's an honorable pursuit, so go get it. Uh, Be ambitious and do that. And uh, the way to do that, the way to go about living quietly, and this is for us just as much as it was for them, uh, the way that we do that comes in the rest of verse 11. And it is by minding your own affairs and working with your hands. Um, uh, In other words, there's this this sense, um, as one commentator puts it, uh, he, he, he says it's the sense that we, 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 uh, it's with our own hands that we work, so to be about our own work and thus provide for our own needs. And, uh, and, and working with our hands there, by the way, not probably literally uh, manual labor with your hands, but, but really any and all work that we could do that will help us to uh, support our needs. And so the bottom line, uh, if you can work to support your personal needs, then do so. Okay? If you have the ability to work, if you have the opportunity to work, then take responsibility for your own needs. So maybe like going on a backpacking trip, you might think of this picture, or maybe going to the, uh, the Boundary Waters in, in a, in, with a group uh, camping experience. You carry your own backpack when you're on that backpacking trip. And of course, if you break your leg... Well, the love of your group is going to pick up your pack for you and carry your pack for you and is going to even carry you, right, if you break your leg. But if you just choose not to carry your bag, okay, that's a problem. That's not, that's not loving the rest of the group. That puts an unnecessary strain on that group. That's not love. 
And so, so the Christian ethic here at the crossroads of, of work and love, if we could say it that way, the Christian ethic at the, at the crossroads of, of work and love, um, uh, it's this. It's that, it's that we, would, um, uh, we would make it our aim to, to work in order to cover our own needs. So, you know, and if we're married, we got to figure that out with, with, our, uh, with our spouse, how that's going to work. But the, the, the principle holds that we would work hard to meet our own personal needs and the needs of our own immediate family. And then if we fall on hard times and for some reason we can't do that, well, then the love from the church provides the needed help and, and helps us to get out of that pinch, helps us to get back on our feet and, and moving forward. That's brotherly love in this context here. And again, it's twofold. So again, number one, we will joyfully and generously provide for uh, various needs of fellow Christians who are genuinely willing to do so, but for some reason they genuinely cannot do that. We will provide. That's New Testament brotherly love uh, at, at, at one level. At another level, secondly, we will love like this as we ourselves are working hard individually to be gainfully employed so that we can support our own personal needs. That's also brotherly love uh, in this context here. And, and uh, you know, if, 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 uh, and as you do, I wonder, do you think about that much? Do you, do you think about uh, your work like that, I wonder? You know, I, I don't imagine that, uh, just given the makeup of, of our church, I don't imagine that there are, are many of us here who, are, who really have any deep temptation to, to sort of mooch off the church and, 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 and mooch off the generosity of, of fellow Christians. But um, likely, the reason we're not tempted to do that is really more a matter of pride than it is a matter of love. Uh, something having to do with us individually and our ambitions and aspirations and our pride than because of love for the church. Um, so it could be that you go to work every day motivated by pride rather than by love. So you maybe want to be seen as successful. Uh, you, you, maybe, you maybe would almost rather die almost than be caught having to ask somebody for help. Um, you don't want to be seen as incompetent. You don't want to be seen as a failure uh, or just lacking in some way. Maybe you're more motivated more by the, the rewards of your job um, rather than by any, any thought about love for your, for your church family. John Stott says this, actually. Um, he says, To support others in need is an expression of love. And I think we get that. But this is what we don't often think about. He says, But it is also an expression of love to support ourselves so as not to need to be supported by others. So you ever think like that? Uh, I think we should. We should be thinking like that. Brotherly love it gives us really a renewed purpose for getting up and getting to work each day. It helps us to do that. And so uh, I would say let that help you sort of be uh, motivated um, uh, in your work. Let that give you one more good, pure motive for doing the work that you do, for being diligent in the work that, uh, uh, that you do. Um, know that your work is not just about you. Brotherly love actually says that your personal work in, 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 in your own individual personal life, um, actually, that is an expression of love for your fellow believers. So it's a little ironic, this, 
this individualistic do-your-own-thing, while in Paul's mind, that individualistic thing has bearing on this corporate thing, this group thing. And there should be motivation in this individual thing because of the impact that it bears on this group thing. So um, brotherly love says that our work is an expression of love for our fellow Christians. Are we thinking like that? Is that what's motivating us? Okay, so um, this is true because, number one, uh, it loves our fellow believers because it doesn't disrupt others uh, unnecessarily and, and impinge or infringe on their resources. And if your fellow Christian does have a genuine need, then you have resources to help. So in those two ways, it actually is an act of love for your fellow um, uh, Christians. That's brotherly love in this context here. Brotherly love. And so um, that, that's what it is. Um, and, and just all that in mind here, uh, why should we obey the command here? I mean, why is this important? What does it matter? What's at stake uh, with whether we do or don't obey it? Well, I think we get that answer in, in the first part of verse 12. And uh, so why should we do this? Verse 12 again, so that you may walk properly before outsiders. So there it is. Or, or as the NIV translation has it, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. So that's Paul's real concern here for the Thessalonians. And it's the same concern for us uh, today as well. It's that we would be careful about how we are perceived by non-Christians. We, you know, at one level, we, we shouldn't care what other people think. In another way, we absolutely should care what other people think, especially those who are outside the church. How do they perceive us? We need to be careful about how our relationships inside the church are viewed by those outside the church. How will our love for one another, or our lack of that, how will that impact how non-Christians think about both Jesus and ourselves as his people and this message of the gospel that we proclaim? Okay, that's what's in view here. And so this is, this is important, uh, for one, because, it, I mean, it will benefit the church, of course. I mean, if, 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 uh, if we are truly loving one another with this brotherly love, then it's a good bet that our needs will be met. Everybody's pack, so to speak, is coming home uh, with them in one way or another. That's certainly a benefit of this love but in context here, I think what's especially important in, in Paul's mind is the missional impact of our love. In other words, it's, it's important because of how our love for one another is going to display the gospel of Jesus to uh, those outside. How it will display God's love itself in our unity with him because of Jesus. So, in fact, uh, Jesus says this in uh, John 13. Uh, John 13, 34 to 35, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And then in John 17, Jesus says this, and he's praying to, uh, to God the Father here, um, uh, he's, he's praying for his, his people, that his followers would be, uh, be unified. And uh, he says, or he prays, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that 
the world may believe that you have sent me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world would know that you sent me and loved them as you loved me. So, interesting, not necessarily our doctrine, not necessarily our stance on certain public policies uh, or whatever, but by our love for one another as Christians, our brotherly love, our oneness, our communal unity, that will be what speaks volumes to a watching world. That's what will testify to the fact that Jesus is sent by God the Father to be the Lord and to be the Savior that he is. That's what will testify to the love of God that's only possible for us in Jesus. Our love for one another. So this is just absolutely huge, the implications of this. This is why we want to care deeply about brotherly love among one another uh, as fellow Christians. And that's going to start uh, in the home. That's going to start in the love and the unity in a family, in a marriage. And that's going to extend out to the local church and the love and the unity that we uh, express here in this local church. It's going to extend out to our network of churches. It's going to extend to our denomination. It extends out to literally all the Christians across the globe. Do this more and more, Paul says. Brotherly love. Why? So that outsiders, so that non-Christians can catch a glimpse of the promise of God's love in Jesus. That's why. It's because our love for one another reflects the love of God as that's expressed in the gospel. And so as we welcome one another, as we forgive one another, as we support one another, we care for one another, and so on. We teach one another, we challenge one another, all these things, these reflect the way that God loves us as we are united to Jesus. And so the, the truth that we proclaim, the truth that we believe, that we say that we believe, that we say makes us Christians, that truth of the gospel of Jesus, that truth will be evidenced by what can be seen in how we love one another. And uh, so this, this is part of why, by the way, we, we want to emphasize here in this church, Christ Redeemer Church, why we want to... Uh, emphasize this idea of gospel-centered community on mission. That's a part of our, our mission and our vision statement. So we, we don't want to separate these ideas of, of community and mission, like it's this either-or uh, priority. But we want to stress the, the potential missional impact of our community. In other words, it, it's for those outside the community, our love within the community bears witness to the love of God in Jesus. And so, Lord willing, outsiders see that. They see what's inside, and they're attracted to that, and ultimately to Jesus himself. Lord willing. That's the hope. That's the prayer. And so that's the, that's the primary reason why I think we should obey this command here, why it's important, what's at stake with brotherly love. It's especially for this, this missional impact of that love. So now to the question of how. How... Can we obey this command? Um, and by that, I don't mean mainly like how do we obey, sort of what are the steps that we can take to obey, but more deeply than that, I mean how can we obey this? Uh, how are we able to um, obey this? I mean, this, this is tough when you have all the different personalities in a local church or in a larger group of Christians, a lot of potential for butting heads and sinning against each other and all this stuff. How do we do that? How are we able? 
Well, just briefly here, I'd say that, that I think the answer is really the, the same answer as it was for the previous section in chapter 4 and how we can obey the command there uh, related to sexual purity. Namely, it's from verse 8. And that is that God gives his Holy Spirit to you. God gives you his Holy Spirit. This is, this is one of the great benefits of trusting Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins and trusting him for uh, favor uh, with him. It's that God himself comes to live inside of us. Literally. That's crazy. And it's literally true. His real presence and power in the person of the Holy Spirit. If you are a Christian, then by definition, God has given you his Holy, uh, his Holy Spirit. You have the real-time presence and power of God himself living inside of you. And, uh, and what Paul says in verse 9 applies to you. Um, that is, that you have been taught by God, just like the Thessalonians were. This is part and parcel of receiving the Holy Spirit. It, part, of, part of coming into God's people means that, that we, we, we receive the Holy Spirit so that we can, in fact, be taught by God. So that we can, so that we can understand the things of God. In fact, we cannot understand the things of God if we don't have the Holy Spirit. But we have the Holy Spirit so we understand the things of God. We can be taught by God and we can have the power to, in fact, follow what God says. To live accordingly. And how that works out for each of us uh, is probably, that's, it's going to look different. How the Holy Spirit is going to empower us to do what in light of these commands, it's going to apply a little bit differently depending on our circumstances, depending on where our heart is at in these things. So as individuals, as individuals, we should look at the church and, 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 and we should say, or we should think, as far as it depends on me, I am going to work hard so that to, to, to support myself, to support my family, so that the church doesn't have to. That should be my attitude. But as a church body as a whole, we should be thinking, I will certainly help whoever needs it. Whoever needs it, we're there as a church to help. And uh, so are we thinking individually or are we thinking corporately? And depending on where your heart is at, sort of individually... So maybe you think if you're, if you're somebody who, who's sort of prone to be very, very generous, and I know we have a lot of very generous people in this church, well, it's actually possible to be too generous. And I know that sounds a little weird, uh, but depending on the circumstances, we, we really can be too generous. So, so if that's sort of where your heart is prone, well, then you should consider whether you are supporting people who could uh, uh, otherwise just be perfectly capable of supporting themselves. But they're taking advantage of your generosity. They're abusing brotherly love here. So we can, be, we can in a way, be too loving in the sense that we might enable uh, people's sin, in which case that's no love at all. Okay? So on the other hand, uh, maybe you might be someone who's prone to stinginess. And uh, you, got, you got, you know, alligator arms or whatever. And, and, and you're, you're holding your, your stuff pretty tight. Well, that's not brotherly love. And so do loosen your grip on your resources and, and do help fellow Christians as they have genuine need. And so 
man, being filled with the Holy Spirit, we are able to obey the commands here to, uh, to brotherly love. And, uh, and uh, you know, how that applies to us, again, that's going to play out a little bit differently depending on our circumstances. Uh, but the spirit of the brotherly love here, that could flesh out in a thousand different ways um, that in some way relate simply to meeting the real physical needs of, um, of, uh, of our other fellow Christians who might need help. Uh, or it could simply mean for you that you simply get up and go to work like you always do, or you know whether that's outside the home or that's inside the home, however you're working it out in your family to meet your needs, you get up in the morning and you just go after it like you always do. But you could do that now with a fresh energy sort of a a fresh motivation because you can be motivated by the fact that your efforts really are an expression of love to your fellow Christians. And and knowing that could could give a deeper and a better motive than than pride or than um, selfish ambition. Um, uh, You could be motivated by that. It could put a little extra pep in your step for, um, for waking up to that alarm tomorrow morning. And in any case, remember, to, to support others in need, that's an expression of brotherly love, and it's also an expression of brotherly love to support ourselves so that we don't need to, or don't need to be supported by others. And that twofold expression of brotherly love, it's just massively important for its potential uh, uh, impact on non-Christians. And, and, and for us, as we fall short in that, um, every day we fall short of these standards, um, Jesus did this perfectly. And so as we're trusting in him, as we're united to him, we do ultimately have that record given to us. And so remember, last week I talked about sanctification. So if we're in Christ, if we are Christians, if we are his people, then sanctification, this whole section is in the context of, you are God's people, now let me help you to be more consistent in that. So sanctification is the process of becoming more and more in practice, which you already are in position. So, 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 so we can do this with the, with the fresh filling of the Spirit. And even when we fall on our face, we're forgiven. And that grace and that love motivates us to get back up and lean on the Spirit to do so more and more. So the, so the world will know that we are Christians uh, by our love, as that song goes. More specifically, it's by our brotherly love. It's by our love for one another in the church family. And as, that, as the world outside the church sees that love for one another inside the church, then that will help the world to see, that the, see the love of God in Jesus. And so do love one another and do not abuse that love. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, the opportunity to uh, press through these parts of 1 Thessalonians 4. And uh, I would just ask again, as I asked to start, that you would help us to um, have focus to to fully understand uh, what you mean in this passage, what you want us to grab onto, how you, what you want us to believe, the promises here you want us to hold on to, the, the actions you want us to take. Would you guide us by your spirit in that? In Jesus' name, amen.